And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Nick Fulton. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Dylan Coyer. And on this week's episode, we are going to talk about Blossom, starring Mayim Bialik in the titular <laughs> role, Jenny Von Oy as Six, and Joey Lawrence as Joey. And some great hats, real, real great hats on that program. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember that show came out when I was like maybe six, yeah. seven, something like that. Yeah. And, and even at that age, thinking this this Joey guy is just tired. Like, yeah. What, what is what is the shtick that he's doing? It's like a real '80s hangover too. Yeah. I, I vaguely also remember thinking it was super cheesy, even though like yeah, I was seven years old. Yeah. I have never heard of this. Oh uh, yeah, awesome. It's fine. Um, it's fine. <laughs> some some '90s nonsense, basically. Yeah. You're not kidding about the hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah there's, the hats the whole thing. Joey Lawrence guy looks like the worst. Yeah, there's a whole arguably. Lawrence family if you want to go down that road. There were other Lawrence brothers. Yeah, there was a better Lawrence in mm-hmm. uh, Boy Meets World. Yes. <laughs> okay. That was a good show. Do you guys? How do you guys feel about spinning off and just becoming a Boy Meets World rewatch podcast? There, there's got to well, be. There's already got to be one of those, I, I, right? I, I, I bet you. There's got to be a lot of those. Every TGIF show has. There's like a step by step rewatch podcast, oh like for sure. So family this matters. All, this is a all family before. matters rewatch oh podcast just, trying to grapple with Carl Winslow and uh, or like an Urkel <laughs> podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we might as well be speaking French as far as Dylan's <laughs> concerned. No, I know about. You know about Urkel? Urkel? Okay. <laughs> That's something. Man, we oh. just do not want to talk about this movie. <laughs> no, we do. I do. I do. I do. Okay. It's just, I got to I gotta squeeze in a stupid bit. No, on this week's episode, we are talking about Broken Blossoms, also known as Broken Blossoms or The Yellow Man and the Girl, the silent film from 1919, directed by D.W. Griffith, based on the short story by Thomas Burke, entitled, Yes, The Chink and the Child. Yeah. I'm... <laughs> I'm going to be the only one dropping a hard C because I'm <laughs> half of uh, half Asian. So yes, yeah. I was like people can't see you, so maybe uh, yeah. <laughs> defend uh, your choices. Yeah, I, I, I have a a white person's name, so uh, just to be clear, <laughs> hopefully I'll be the only one dropping the hard C's today. Oh, fingers uh, crossed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Broken Blossom stars Lillian Gish as Lucy the Child, Donald Crisp as her abusive father, a battling, and. Richard Parthelmas <laughs> as Cheng Huan, a Chinese immigrant who befriends and cares for Lucy. It is I inclu- just I just like the f- phrase Richard Bartholomus as Cheng Huan. Yeah. yeah, that tells you everything you need to know right there. Yeah. Um, this film is included in the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress, and I believe it is the first movie that we've covered that none of us have previously seen. Is that correct? No. Is, oh, uh, Body Heat. Body Heat. <laughs> body heat uh. Two movies that have so much in common. Yeah. <laughs> body Heat and Broken Blossoms. Yeah, we're, we're really just like doing a retread of Body Heat. Um, yeah. On this week's yeah, Both are very melodramatic, at mm-hmm. least. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dylan, you have seen some D.W. Griffith before, correct? Uh, yes, I've. if you can hear my dog. Uh, I've seen two. I've seen 
Birth of a Nation, and I have seen Intolerance. Oh, I was just going to say, like, with those uh, as something you've seen before, kind of, what, what did you bring to this first watch, and what were you anticipating? Nervousness. <laughs> I definitely brought nervousness. Um... Down. Pelly okay? <laughs> she hears her dog friend barking outside. Aw. Um... I mean, Birth of a Nation speaks for itself. It's, um, I really don't even know where to start with that movie. I'm just going to move on to Intolerance. Um, Intolerance really feels like an apology for being super racist and almost kind of shoots the moon with it into being still semi-problematic. It's better. I mean, like, at least, but... I mean, sort of, it would have to be. I was going to say, yeah. by virtue of not being a movie about how the Ku Klux Klan is great, it didn't reinvigorate the KKK. Yeah, no. Um, also, so I'm going to talk about this later, but having wa- watched the Watchmen show this past week and reading about some stuff, um, Alan Moore, the original writer of Watchmen, argued that Birth of a Nation was the beginning of the superhero movie as in a bunch of white guys put on masks and fight the bad guys. Um, I actually think that's a fair argument and D.W. Griff's a talented director Mm -hmm. and I mean Lillian Gishon is in like all of his major movies because she's the best. He just he picks the, the source materials and the stories around his movies very poorly he chose poorly and that's about as far as i'm gonna (laughs) go with it i I don't really like interacting with dw griffin movies in general yeah fair and jana uh you have not seen any griffith i have not right yeah no um i did not go to film school so was never forced to watch them and um never (laughs) decided that's what i wanted to do with my free time uh yeah my only real background (laughs) yeah my only real background with this and i i I mentioned this to you guys beforehand was i listened to the you must remember this season about hollywood babylon and the very first episode of that season of the podcast talks about dw griffith and lillian gish in particular and sort of their relationship and you know, but it was or it wasn't, um, and a little bit of his background. And so I at least had, you know, the context a little bit of his whole deal. Um, and it's what I found interesting is in that episode, she sort of throws in as an aside, like, and then also they made Broken Blossoms, which many people consider to be his real masterpiece, but it's not talked about. And so I, I found it kind of interesting that for everything I've heard about him, I had never heard of this movie until it came up in the book. Like, I was very mm. familiar with Intolerance and Birth of a Nation. And then it wasn't until when I saw the title in the Ebert book, I didn't even know what it was. So it's kind of interesting that it's, well, I would say I know why no one talks about it anymore, but um, I kind of don't. Like, <laughs> if we're going to talk about Birth of a Nation, you know, why? We should talk about Broken Blossoms. It's a, it's a conversation to have. Yeah, and I think I mean those two. I've I've seen bits of each of them, like small bits. Sure, yeah. Um, but I haven't watched either Birth of a Nation or uh, Intolerance. This uh, also for me was my first Griffith. But those do have the reputation of being like Birth of a Nation was this big giant epic that mm-hmm. everyone saw. It was hugely influential. It's still like 
in a way in its way in film history uh is hugely influential and then intolerance was like this other big sprawling epic taking place over multiple like time periods and this uh in contrast is like a pretty small sort of quiet drama mm-hmm. yeah very self-contained it's, yeah it's yeah. really only like a couple sets three sets maybe um for the for the majority of the movie um and it's you know this is this is not epic in any way really no yeah it's yeah it's a very small story despite the mm-hmm. fact that i mean it you know starts with a guy you know traveling from one end of the world to the other but then yeah it just sort of all takes place in this one neighborhood so much smaller scale so the movie opens up in it we are told that it is a tale of temple bells sounding at sunset before the image of buddha it is a tale of love and lovers it is a tale of tears and did that make you guys think of anything like that opening little uh, line it the sounded of tears no it sounded <laughs> oh good lord <laughs> It cool. sounded Dickensian to me. Like oh, the, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tale sense. of Love and Lovers and Tale of Tears. And this movie, mm-hmm. does, like the rest of the movie does, I assume that that was purposeful. Yeah. Because um, it really is sort of a Dickensian tale where she's, you know, down on her luck. and Right, on the and, streets of, you know, poor London, this waif who's mistreated by the bad man. Yeah, it's, it's very yeah. Dickensian. Yeah. So before we get to the poor streets of London, we open on this... Chinese seaside town, and we do see actual Asian people for a little bit. Which yeah, is cool. I know. I know. I was surprised. Yeah, that was like the first thing I wrote down in my notes was like, oh, "Hold on, yeah. <laughs> we actually have actual, actual Asian, Asian people." people. Yeah, in my notes. So we do surprise. know there is real Asian people. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, well, I'm not sure that makes it <laughs> kind of makes it worse that it's like, okay, so you you had a real real people, <laughs> yeah, but okay, yeah, they were they were around. You could have. Yeah. Could have Just potentially cast them. somebody. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did go into a little bit of um, like the history of Asian actors, just like doing a Wikipedia dive. Um, mm-hmm. And around this time period, there was really only like there were a few Asian actors. Um, none of them were really getting lead roles. There was one Japanese actor named uh, Sisuye Hayakawa, um, who is probably like i think his most notable thing was uh he was in in, uh the bridge on the river kwai Mm -hmm. but this was a few years before anime wong became a star so really at this time there weren't big stars to to go to in anything so i mean we can i think fairly criticize griffith for not casting an actual asian person in the lead Mm -hmm. but no one else was doing that either and even this movie is 101 years old right <laughs> I I was thinking of how many um like American movies star Asians in the lead and I could only come up with two. Uh the Char- fa- <laughs> the farewell and crazy rich Asians. I'm sure there are others, but um, and I mean I guess if you want to say like half like mixed uh like Keanu's part Asian. Sure. But or um, uh, what's the uh? There's an Ang Lee American movie where he has um, the Hulk. <laughs> Is Eric Bana? <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, like Wedding Banquet. Are you thinking of maybe Wedding Banquet? 
Maybe. Yeah. See, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count. Like, oh no, those I was not... thinking eat, drink, yeah. man, woman. But I guess. Oh that's yeah, that's not... t- yeah. Wedding banquet at least I think takes place in the states, but it, yeah, that's Ang Lee coming to America and making that mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, like there's really not there's there's more instances that I can think of of white people is there Asians any... or replacing Asians than there are Asians actually leading even now. Yeah. No, it's is a there it's, oh any I, movies where it doesn't focus on them going back to Asia because that's, that's something that both yeah both of those Asians. um to shout out a couple of recent John Cho movies um searching oh, if yeah. you guys saw that it was a tiny oh, movie yeah. that I enjoyed mm-hmm. quite a bit and then Columbus of course Columbus. yeah of course yeah. our beloved Columbus um, oh, I really need to see you really yes yeah, you you'd love that movie um yeah so. I, I really think I would but, how about a uh, saving face by Alice Wu. I haven't I have seen. Not that. heard of that. She made the um, the half of it movie that came to Netflix mm. earlier oh, okay. this year, and okay, this is about yeah. a Chinese American lesbian. Oh right, yeah. Okay, I have read a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I yeah, guess there's I've also, heard of this one. Um, the the other Netflix movie. Uh, Always be my maybe. Oh, I was gonna say uh, oh. to, oh, all the, to all the boys. To all the boys. Sure, sure. So, yeah, there's, there's a handful. It's, but it's, it's kind of yeah. it's kind it, of sad <laughs> though that we can sit here and start counting on two hands and like naming them off is not not great. <laughs> yeah, and uh, did we think of a single South Asian movie? American. Yeah, South Asian American. Mm-hmm. I mean, Slumdog Millionaire is so Americanized that. Well, but that's like well, that's like a British. Danny Boyle's British, right? I'm not crazy. Oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah, British director. It, it's it's a... very westernized. Well, yes. Yeah. But it, it takes place all in India. I can't think of a... Oh, uh, B- Big Sick? Oh, yeah. Big Sick. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's like, again, again. It's, it's all sort of, yeah, very... Yeah, but then for, yeah, for each of those, we have Ghost in the Shell and Aloha. And... Oh, Aloha. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> you and I are just like... No. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't think now. There's, there's no universe in which this movie exists and has anything other than a white man playing that role. Like it just right, wouldn't have. Right, got, right. It's, I mean, I think the response is well, then they should not have made this movie. But yeah, there's no way that once this movie was being made in 1919 that it was cast in any way other than how it was cast. Right, right. Um, so I mean, I don't want to dwell too much on the yellow face thing. Like it's it is what we, it is. We we all know it's a problem. It was 1919. There was worse shit going on, certainly uh, around that time, including like by the United States government, um, and they would carry on uh, things like the Chinese Exclusion Act for another like couple decades after this, and they would intern other Asians, uh, you know, decades after this. Yeah. So it's it's not yeah. great. It's not there's. There's been worse shit. I don't want to go around. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we don't. I don't. I don't. I don't even want to like dwell on it anymore. Like it's clearly yeah. a problem. Everyone knows it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, moving on. So, um, we meet uh, our protagonist. He's in a Buddhist temple, and he is contemplating. He's basically doing like the reverse, um, uh, like uh, the missionary type thing. What's the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for that I'm you know he's he's basically going to go proselytize uh, right. his his buddhist beliefs to a foreign land and instead of it being like a, a white man bringing christianity he's an right. asian man who's bringing buddhism and and peaceful thoughts to the anglo-saxons and this is because or at least it's demonstrated in the movie that it's because there there's some i guess british sailors that are running mm. around this town who are just uh 
uncouth and causing trouble and basically mm-hmm. it is interesting so you know again going into this movie being very wary it is kind of interesting that the opening scenes are like these white guys are no know, good really kinda... and he has got to go to the west and teach them the error of their ways uh it's an interesting tactic to sort of start the movie off that way it definitely has a problem sort of exoticizing the idea of like the asian experience and um you know the foreignness mm-hmm. of, I mean, the Orientalism mm-hmm. around this certain character, and uh, but even while it does that, it, it at least like addresses like, yeah, these white people aren't the best though, <laughs> and so I was kind of at least surprised that even while they're not being super complex with their view of the Asian character in the movie, it's uh. I don't know. It was more than I was expecting after Birth of a Nation. Yeah, he's not villainous in any way. Like, he's no. he's the good guy. Yeah. And if anything, like, every white male in this movie is villainous. Yeah, I don't think there's a good one. Yeah, and I, th- I think that, like, overall, it's maybe not the, like, best portrayal of Asians. Like, he is, you know, hitting up opium dens and yep. all that. Yeah. But the overall message of the movie, and especially for the time, not just like a hundred years ago, but uh, like within the social climate of the United States at the time, and especially towards Chinese immigrants, um, it's. I think it probably does more good than harm. Uh, like the message of the movie really is just uh, the the Asian immigrant is helpful as opposed to the 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 horrible white people in this movie right he's he's not he's not portrayed as someone who's coming into your neighborhood to destroy everything um yeah Mm. his influence is is positive and yeah exactly um yeah his influence is portrayed as positive and again there's a whole complicated element of that of sort of like paternalism and exoticism and you know that that's you know different but that's but, so much better than right. so many movies just in general Ex- from 1919 Ex- or any stories Ex- that exactly we are with an acknowledgement that we're grading on a massive curve um, yes i was <laughs> i mean i, I did the, i did have the, the eye rolling reaction when we get very quickly to an opium den and i was just like yeah okay i mean of course <laughs> of course um but beyond you gotta that have opium. you got i mean you gotta it's yeah the, the audience would have been wondering where the opium den like, was if they didn't are we it. sure this guy's even asian right yeah i don't i have seen him in an opium den um oh yeah so it, yeah I, i'm just gonna keep saying over it could have been a lot worse yes <laughs> yeah and that's kind of like i i can't think of any movie that's from this area that you're not having to grade on a curve a little right. bit like there's yeah there's probably a couple but i mean we're gonna talk about the general soon like he's a he, he wants to be a confederate soldier in the general you know i know <laughs> <laughs> which in in respect to the general, which even not so much in this movie, the general is about as apolitical as you possibly could be. Mm-hmm. It's just like he's trying to join this pathetic losing side because he's a pathetic loser. Yeah, but it's still not the best thing that we're rooting for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, like you said, the the sailors who are in this Chinese town are like picking fights, and our protagonist Cheng Huan is like recoiling in reaction to them. So he's on a mission. He wants to go to England um, to spread a message of peace. And he does. So we cut to, I think it's years later. 
right? Yeah, there's there's a title card that says something like, yeah, years later or five years later or something like that. So he is in a place called Limehouse, uh, which is a district in London, and he is the, uh, quote, chink storekeeper, which is how sure they is. know him. So he's got a shop, and... Um, there was one one line I liked in this scarlet house of sin. Does he ever hear the temple? Yeah, does he ever hear the temple bells? Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to him, and then it cuts to the bells ringing. And I mm-hmm. just like that editing sequence of. Mm-hmm. It seems like he does. Right, that really stood out to me too. I mean, I I'm fortunately I'm not, or unfortunately I'm not enough well versed in the movies of this era to know if that was sort of like an innovative. Uh, way to shoot that scene but it felt like it it felt you know kind of surprising to me I was just expecting things to move linearly to mm-hmm. have this like you said this editing sequence where it asks about the bells and then you almost see him like it visualizes him hearing the bells or remembering yeah. them and so yeah I thought that was very impressive for this movie I think the editing of the time for this movie was just way ahead of what it should have been mm-hmm. there was and we're gonna get to it but the climax of the movie especially I was just like yeah they're really doing a lot here that mm-hmm. seems fairly simple nowadays, but like people talk about how like Battleship Potemkin revolutionized a lot of cross-cutting mm-hmm. and scene interchanging and uh, like progression of story through the their editing tactics. And this is like, I don't know, this is before Battleship Potemkin, right? It's six years before. And actually, yeah, in, um... and, 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 and Potemkin's still like definitely more prolific, but like. This doing editing stuff that like that a lot of people give other credit for it. I was yeah. really impressed. Yeah, and in and in the um, book film form, which is like a, a essay collection of Eisenstein's work, he talks a lot about um, like really idolizing Griffith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he he was revolutionary and yeah. racist. Yeah, <laughs> somewhat. Uh, one of the, one of the things that's interesting that Karina Longworth talks about in the podcast about D.W. Griffith is that he was well, like he was at the time was considered to have invented a lot of these tactics because he would go around saying he'd invented a lot of these tactics <laughs> and he didn't really, he didn't so much invent them as just sort of popularize them because he was one of the biggest and most yeah. famous directors. And, but you know, if there's no internet for you to fact check and if, if right, someone right. tells you I invented the fade out, which apparently he told people he did, everyone was like, wow, he invented the fade out. Um, and I, I did notice a lot of fade outs in in this, mm-hmm. which but apparently yes. he was. So fade, fade outs and cross cutting were the two things that he mm-hmm. basically was telling everybody he invented, but that he did popularize. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And we could we could have the same conversation, I think, in a few weeks about Citizen Kane where mm-hmm. like people will give Kane credit for being like this big, like, you know, depth of field, blah, blah, blah. And he wasn't the first one to do it. He was just the first one to do it that well. Right. The most successful. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, um, uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> winners, winners write the history, right? <laughs> you do it the most successfully. And yeah, I know um, a little off tangent, but this is kind of like in this uh, Facebook, us three are in about um, uh, we're doing a music poll about like best musical artists of all time and everyone keeps on saying like oh this person is better because they're more influential just because they came earlier this kind of feels like that yeah yeah (laughs) if if we played by these rules like the uh, lumiere brothers is like everything that they're they're the best directors of all time right because they they actually did invent a lot of these things just because they did it they were the first ones to do it yeah 
Or like Hildegard would be the best musical artist of all time. <laughs> there you go. Nothing against either of those two people. It's just I was say maybe no. maybe that's how I feel. No. <laughs> so hmm, um, where are we? Yeah. <laughs> has he got to England yet? He's in England now, right? So he's yeah. He, he's in England. He's he's got the he's got the, his store. Yeah, he's got his his store. Mm-hmm. They know him as the storekeeper. <laughs> is it? Is it? A, tea shop what what is this the store exactly do we know okay i don't know there's in a my, lot of stuff it seemed like a general store yeah. where you can like get drinks and buy some yeah in my head i thought of it as a tea items. shop but just because there's also like later on she like breaks a teacup yeah um, but they just don't really it's just oh yeah he's just a shopkeeper okay yeah yeah so then we contrast that with um lucy and battling who were introduced to so their backstory is that she was kind of thrust into his arms uh 15 years ago so she's like 15 ish i guess mm-hmm. um is a toddler she was just like a, in a bundle of white rags the, the implication is that maybe like he'd, her, he'd gotten someone like pregnant a, like, yeah like or like maybe like a prostitute who like yeah. it was it sort of kind of makes it seem like she was maybe like a, a lady of the neighborhood who then was just like this is yours and uh that was that yeah so I think like some of the things I read online had referenced him as her stepfather, but mm-hmm. he's like an adoptive. Yeah, I guess yeah, depending that's on closer to it. how depending on how you want to interpret it, he's possibly like her. Uh, he, I assume that she was like a love child of some of some. Yeah, kind. she's like his so, ward somehow. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, his name is Batling, as people are named apparently. Sure. <laughs> Subtle. Uh, yes. Did you did you make note of any of the the title cards about him about battling? I have a few quotes okay. written yeah. down. There was just a couple about him that I thought were particularly yeah <laughs> nice and dramatic. So did you guys read um, the the short story that this was based on? No. I found no. it. I found it and I skimmed it, but I was looking at it on my phone and it was like a scanned PDF. So it was like starting to give me a headache. So I didn't read the whole thing. It's pretty short. It's only like 30 pages. I skimmed through it just, but it, some of the, a lot of the title cards are actual, just like direct quotes from the short story. It seems the end is different, which oh, uh, I guess we'll, oh. we'll get to. You'll have to tell us about that when we get there. Cause yeah, I have questions. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Battling Burroughs. I kind of, I guess I assumed that that's not his name, but that's just like his boxer name. His boxing He's battling name. Burrows, but they never give yeah. another name for him, so I don't <laughs> right, know. Right, right. Yeah. So he's he, like a he's like Clark Kent walking around just calling himself Superman all the time. Yeah. yeah. And and by the way, this this actor was a real boxer slash actor, um, which. Okay. I, I, <laughs> okay, good. Because I wanted to talk about some stuff. Well, no, do you want to I talk things... about his messed up boxers here? Because um, it's oh, I didn't I, notice once, that. Oh, I mean, I didn't look, even notice that either. Look at it now. Um, oh, if you your, see how his oh, ear yeah, is yeah, all he's like cauliflower. He's got oh, a yeah. cauliflower ear, and yeah, once I noticed it in the movie, I was just like, oh, he. Was and I looked him up, and yes, apparently that guy was Th- a. That's um, funny because I definitely have. Granted, we're also uh, adjusting for era, but I do have written in my notes. He does not have a boxer's physique. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the way I into the the way I expect a boxer's physique to be uh, nowadays. I guess. Yep. Things have changed. I. I, I guess you could say the same I, thing I about spend... baseball players from that era too. I, did, I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Although we still have Bartolo. So. <laughs> do we? Because last I saw, he was playing like rec league softball yeah i know but yeah. close enough <laughs> so miguel okay. sano now 
technically would be it. Ugh, my, just my least favorite. <laughs> so, Battling's deal is that he's a boxer, and he gets drunk a lot, and whenever he gets in a fight with his manager, and it seems to typically be about his drinking or hanging around with women of ill repute, he, instead of taking it out on his manager or fighting with his manager, he goes home and he takes it out on Lucy. So Lucy, they're destitute. She's in this terrible um, home life. She wanders the streets, and you would think that the few ways out would be to get married or to, you know, become a lady of the night. Mm -hmm. But the women who are married Mm -hmm. tell her, whatever you do, don't get married. And she's told by the ladies of the night, don't become a lady of the night. She's got no good options. Yeah, so she really, like, she doesn't have a good out from this awful situation. Hmm. And the title card tells us, in every group, there is one weaker than the rest. The butt of uncouth wit or ill temper. Poor Lucy is, poor Lucy is one of these. Yeah, so she's supposed to be a little slow. Is, is that what <laughs> that title card was saying? I legitimately was not sure. Oh, that's not how I read it. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't read it that way. I guess... Just, I... I genuinely could not tell just just down on her luck just that's the way i read it honestly yeah it says she's the the butt of uncouth wit and ill temper so i assume it sounds just a weakling they just she's just like she's just like picked upon in every sense yeah she's just people bully her i guess take advantage i guess yeah i guess not a little slow as much as just like weak she's just Mm -hmm. downtrodden and weak um poor lucy yeah poor lucy yeah, and so just to clarify, she's supposed to be fifteen. That that's what the the yeah. title card tells us. It was fifteen years ago, and Lillian Gish was actually twenty six. So was she uh, that old? I... Okay. So according to the internet, she was born in eighteen ninety three, and this movie was made in nineteen nineteen. Right? So um, yeah, she does look extremely sense. youthful, though. Mm-hmm. She looks super young. Yeah, I, I, I had thought that I had read that she was older than that, but I must mm-hmm. have like I'm, maybe I'm mixing things up so the first like bad interaction that we see with her and battling is that he is actively drinking when she's at home and he tells her to smile and she has to she does like the joker like yeah yeah that's a recurring like, theme throughout the yeah. movie is the smile. Let's put a smile on that face yeah yeah what did you guys think about that? I mean, I think, I mean, again, hot take. Lillian Gish, very good. Very charismatic, mm-hmm. silent film performer. Um, it's not super fun to watch her getting no. just totally bullied by her terrible adoptive father, whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, she's so magnetic. You can see why she was such a huge star because yeah. just she can convey so much. Um, yeah. Just the, the image of her, like, clear, like, her eyes are frowning, but she's it's pushing so up. It's so sad. Yeah. It's the it's, saddest it's thing. It's the saddest thing where her eyes, it's like, Broke my heart. it's the opposite of, of smizing, <laughs> where she's, yeah. she's not yeah, smiling. Right, right. 
You should not just smile. Fries. Smizing fries. is when you just smile. Smiling with your eyes. Smile with your eyes. You keep your face. Oh, gotcha. it's, it's a Tyra smile Banks. Smile gazing. It's like, it's a, yeah, just smizing. Yeah, it's like a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a Tyra Banks uh, neologism. But it's, yeah. Okay. But yeah, no, the way that she can make her eyes just look so just terribly sad and then pushing the face up. Yeah. So we, we haven't actually like, usually we lead with this. Um, and like how, how your overall uh, like reaction to the movie was. But so we haven't actually talked about what we thought about this movie, but I, I really, really liked this movie. And <laughs> so, so much of what I liked about this movie is just the only other thing I've seen Lillian Gish in is much, much later in life when she's in Night of the Hunter. So, sure. so this, and she's the, Best. Yeah. So this is the only thing I've God. seen when she's like at the height of her silent days. movie powers. Yeah. She is so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah, I I was surprised at how much I liked this movie. I was prepared to, you know, appreciate seeing some Griffithisms and and really be turned off by the politics of it. But I I don't know. What did you guys? How did you guys? I really, I really liked her in it as well. Like this was my, I think it's probably the first thing I've ever seen her in. And so, yeah, I was totally blown away. I loved every scene she was in. Every scene she wasn't in, I was <laughs> slightly less engaged with, um, I would say. Um, so uh, overall, I was pretty mixed. I mean, definitely oh. glad to have watched it. Definitely, like, I thought her performance was pretty remarkable and sort of goes a long way to just explain why she was such a, huge star of her era mm-hmm. um but yeah some the parts that she wasn't in were a little bit of a drag for there me. are some parts <laughs> that definitely drag yeah. we texted about no, yeah. no kidding it's <laughs> short but my god it and drags just like so her they don't meet until halfway through basically mm-hmm. yeah. her and cheng huan don't do not meet until halfway through and it's the, the pacing, I mean, it feels so silly to criticize the pacing of a film from 101 years ago. But the pacing is just sort of all over the place where, like, important things will happen and then just nothing will happen. And we'll just sort of watch people sitting in a room for 20 minutes. And then important things happen. And then we just watch a boxing match happen for 20 minutes. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, or it will be like we're at abuse the... scene, abuse scene. Right. Yeah. Then they meet. Right. Like, it's like mm-hmm. we could have cut out yeah. the second abuse scene. Like we have this. Yeah. I mean, and that's honestly, it's not even like old movie problem of pacing. Mm-hmm. That's just bad story. Well, writing. and so my, yeah, my my issue this morning as I was messaging you guys as I finished this movie about an hour ago, um, <laughs> was really because I was actually by the time that that her uh, that Lucy and Cheng Huan meet I was like okay I'm I'm into this now like I am curious about this relationship and sort of as, as the movie says you know they're basically outcasts who find each other um, and I, I was invested in that and so then when you get to sort of the final act of the movie where you know the climax is coming and then it's just like let's like battling bros is like I I gotta go have this boxing match before I take us to the climax of the movie. <laughs> and so it's like, they sort of acknowledge that, okay, we'll get there, just, but wait. And so my question, and I was talking with this, talking about this with Matt while I was watching it, is there's a phenomenon in very old movies where they would just show you things because it was novel to be showing you them. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, maybe this was just, it's like, hey, the audience, they'd love to see watch a boxing match. Most people don't get to see a boxing match. Let's just show them one in that, real time that's a fair point. in the middle of this movie. And so I, that was my only guess as to why some of mm-hmm. these things happened. 
there's i mean we're skipping way ahead but there's no there's no need to show that boxing or for that long yeah it just keeps going we Um, already know he's a boxer like right (laughs) we've had there's a scene at the beginning where we see a good chunk of a match um so yeah i guess that was my main takeaway was that i was actually more invested in the story i i than i expected because i thought the performances were really strong mm-hmm. and when it strays from it, it right and when it does we just have these diversions and kind of like dylan said there's also the unnecessarily repetitive abuse scenes where it's just like okay yeah. <laughs> I, I i understand the dynamic dynamic of this relationship by now so I am somewhere in between Jana and Nick, but I think I'm a lot closer to Nick than I am to Jana. I really actually loved this movie on the whole. It's and so crazy to me. <laughs> I mean, 90% of my liking of it came because Lil- like I would just get chills when Lillian Gish was on screen because she's just that good. Um, like literally, e- even like Birth of a Nation, which is just, so repugnant i don't even like to think about it but she's still really good in that movie um i haven't seen the wind i don't know if that one is readily available but what's the story of cinema movie that you recommended to me nick uh story of film and odyssey yeah that that they do like a 20 minute segment on the wind and a lot of her scenes in that and my god she looks really good in that too um I was surprised by the end how much I actually cared for uh, Cheng Huan on the whole. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, the abuse scenes were definitely repetitive and it definitely kind of messed the tone up. But I thought like it was pretty well like um, it wasn't like a problematic abuse thing like this is something that still holds up that the the abuser thinks like oh you should be happy even though i'm beating you Mm -hmm. or it's due to alcohol problems or it's not that person they're taking their other life problems out on them um so and she's i actually i was gonna say she's certainly not getting like fridged right no i think i mean i think if it's about her story it's not it's not being done in service of somebody else's story um, and there was like one moment that really stood out to me in the middle of all that that I thought was really like sad and well done is when he's menacing her and she sort of drops down and starts like cleaning his shoes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that broke right? My Isn't that like heart. that's like the most intense where you know she's oh, just like, what do I need to do I to try sick. to like survive this situation? And she starts like wiping his shoes with yeah. her skirts and yeah, no, and it works for a little bit. Eh, it's mm-hmm. a bit distraction, yeah. So um, yeah. I, I definitely have my issues with it, but on the whole, I was surprised how much it affected me. Yeah, that's 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 where I landed too. Like, it's certainly not a perfect movie, but um, I, I was surprised at how much it, I really did like watching this. So uh, after we see her terrible home life, she like battling is out, so she prepares to go for a shopping trip, and she has some silk and ribbon hidden in her house that uh, mm-hmm. her mother presumably her mother left for her and she said she can use them for her wedding in the future and then she also has stashed like some coins and foil Mm -hmm. so she goes into town and is trying to use the foil to buy a flower Mm -hmm. and when she's out and about um the 
the um what's his name cheng huan sees her i keep like in my notes i was doing it on my phone and i have ym for yellow man written down (laughs) (laughs) great oh my god (laughs) well because that's how it was referenced a lot online yeah 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 so he sees her um and he he's like very moved by the sight of her and he seems to see like a value and a beauty in her that the rest of the town does not um and then also while she's out she bumps into a guy named evil eye who's sure also does. like okay. kind of okay. wa- he's also watching her we we have to t- this this was my biggest issue with the movie honestly was right. just this i don't know like if griffith just wanted it to be at least an hour long mm-hmm. and so <laughs> he just thought let's add in this random character that like i i'm struggling to remember what he did for this movie at all he shows up he shows back up at the end to, to yeah cause I, I know he shows again, up like, I, but... I remember he's there he he holds the flower like i i remember all that but like i'm trying to struggle to like what is he trying to like yeah. i'm trying to justify this guy's inclusion into this movie because he's like fourth billing yeah yeah and uh i don't know i i'm lost on this character this this was like the worst part of the movie by far in my opinion yeah he's i mean he doesn't add anything he's just another person like we don't need to see her he like kind of grabs her on the street and yeah. and um cheng huan I mean, kind of shoves him away but we don't i guess charitably it's to show that there's danger both inside and outside her home like she's at you know she's menaced by battling at home and then she's menaced by evil eye on the street like i but that's that's just i'm making that up i have right i don't think it was necessary i already thought that the streets were dangerous like yeah yeah because we got the the expository dialogue already like Mm -hmm. just clean the story up a little bit yeah yeah we already know everything's terrible for her and later we know that Cheng Huan is going to take care of her, so we don't need him taking care of her now. So it's really right. like it's it's redundant in it's terms of character redundant. development, and yeah. this character is not developed at all. So no. it's like this in the boxing scenes. You got those out. The movie is ten minutes shorter, and I think it's the same movie, mm-hmm. or like it's a it's a better movie. It's a, it's the same story. Yeah, so. I'm I'm really curious because I almost had to watch it on Prime, and Nick graciously uh, let me use his canopy <laughs> because um, the movie's. Like fifteen minutes shorter it's like on twenty Prime? minutes shorter. It's yeah. like an hour and ten instead and of an I, hour thirty. And I was like, man, this movie's already so short. Like, I wonder how this could be shorter mm-hmm. before I started it. And then after I watched, it, I was like, really, almost regret not just watching it on I'm, Prime. I'm so curious was, if they I just took out the boxing got. and an evil eye, like, or one or the other. Yep. Or, or, or imagine if it was just other stuff and they were still in the <laughs> they left, movie. They left those parts in and took out <laughs> more interactions between <laughs> Lucy and Cheng Wan. Yes. They, they take out the climactic scene at the right, end. They're exactly. Just like totally they, they take out the closet sequence. They're like, we don't need yeah. that. No. <laughs> it's a little too intense. We're gonna... Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the censored version. Yeah. Oy, oy. But yeah, I think like somebody could go back and re-edit this now and I think make it a better movie like just oh, yeah. like not chop up just lift a couple of those scenes that are not right. really adding anything and i right. think the movie would be tighter and better mm-hmm. so battling comes home again after getting kicked out of a bar while lucy's shopping she returns and he seems to think that she's home late now she isn't she says taint five 
It's not even five o'clock yet, but he's drunk and pissed off. So he's prepping to leave for like a boxing training. He's going to the alternate site for boxing training. (laughs) Sure. So she's about to make his last meal before he goes to do that. And while she's about to serve him his food, she accidentally spills it. And he accuses her of purposely, you know, the type of thing that based on what we know about Lucy, she would definitely do is purposely <laughs> spill food all over him. Right, to aggravate him. Um, so he starts menacing her. She says, you know, be careful or they'll hang you. Basically, she's saying, like, don't kill me. Yeah. And he beats her and then he leaves. So she takes refuge in Cheng Huang's shop. He's out and he comes back to find her asleep on the floor. So do they show like why it's his shop that she ends up in? Because they haven't interacted directly yet. He kind of pushed Evil Eye away. But other than that, she doesn't really know him. No, I sort of got the impression that she just looked for a place to take refuge. And it was a place that was open. Right, it was, it was open. Like, that's, you know, she because she goes out and she can't be on the streets, and so she just kind of goes in there. It was, I don't know if it's a coincidence. Uh, <laughs> and it, it could be that she just knows he's friendly or that he doesn't seem dangerous, but it does just seem like it was open. At least the way I read it in the movie, I just thought it was, she was just going right. into take refuge it was just the first place she could go yeah Yeah. she didn't seek him out yeah agreed and he does come home uh after going to the opium bar it it notes Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. cool yeah so she wakes up and she she looks frightened but then um the title card tells us that this is the first gentleness she has ever known and he actually like so he takes her up to like where he, he he lives basically above his shop and he starts tending to her wounds. Um, and then apparently this is like a, a common trope in the, the Griffith filmography, but he leans in to kiss her, but he doesn't, which mm-hmm. I think is fortunate given their age discrepancy, but that's a whole, that's a whole, yeah. Other, like, yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole other can of worms. But apparently, yeah. so apparently, um, all of his films, or if not all, like many of his films tend to portray the, the female protagonist as like virginal and... Pure, yeah, yeah that's his... That's that his, that yeah. was one of the biggest problems, I think, with uh, Intolerance, yeah. mm-hmm. at least no in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It, well, at least in Intolerance, it's always like these poor, pure people just get like intoleranced by... Right. <laughs> and then next story because it's like four different stories mm-hmm. or something i can't mm-hmm. remember but like um yeah and they're all they're all the waif right that and, yeah uh, that was apparently one yeah one of his major fixations um was sort of the like purity super of interesting young women and that he uh, i can't remember the, t- the exact terms that i guess he actually used or were used at the time but it's it's basically a madonna whore thing it's basically women right. are either you know pure virginal like and he like, and apparently this is sort of how he felt in his real life. He was 
pretty messed up dude um, with like no. a messed up upbringing. Yeah, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, he had these, you know, very particular ideas that like women were to be worshipped. But as soon as they were sullied by the touch of a man, then, you know, they were, you know, mm-hmm. wasted and, you know, not to be dealt with anymore. And so, yeah, that, that does definitely does stand out that she has to remain so, so pure and untouched, um, which again, fine with in the context of the movie <laughs> don't don't need it to be portrayed differently but right it does right, right. seem to be um his particular obsession so i can't remember if it was this that i'd read it about or, or if it was a different movie while i was going down wikipedia rabbit holes but there may have also been like some code um violations that like there wasn't a haze code at this time but right, some kind of like censorship be, because there there were um like miscegenation laws i was gonna say yeah i think even in a pre-code world it might have been a problem because yeah. he was not a uh you know anglo person yeah. and as opposed to just like they could have he definitely screen. looks like one well, yeah, i was yeah. gonna say <laughs> <laughs> yeah when I mean, you're just watching the movie <laughs> I, I think there's a lot to um commend the movie on mm-hmm. uh, as far as like um how it's made and stuff they could have done the makeup a little bit better if they're gonna, you know, do that. I mean, I I'm kind of okay that they did. When that came out, I was like, yeah. maybe not. Yeah, no, yeah. I. But um, but no, no I, it, it 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 really looks bad. He's just, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm definitely conflicted about that because no, it's fairly <laughs> ridiculous. He's just clearly a like white guy, but at the same time, I'm okay that they didn't like do weird Make prosthetics too, or yeah. anything to his face in a way that yeah, could have uh, yeah we, we mentioned I think it was before we were recording about if you look at the poster it's so much worse because it's, <laughs> he's drawn in a way that is uh, quite a caricature and I was relieved to not be actually looking at that for the duration of the movie itself yeah, yeah true so yeah. speaking of colorization though there see we haven't oh. talked at all about like we, we've talked a little bit about how like the the Burroughs's house is kind of like sparse mm-hmm. and then we see that sort of contrasted mm-hmm. with his shop and his room mm-hmm. t- yeah. has more just more stuff in it but also right. like not just that the the visuals to this movie are um pretty great like in terms yeah. of the colorization for a different mm-hmm. like the different parts of town have different right. color palettes and tones to them yeah we did not talk about the fact that i just wrote down purple in all caps (laughs) in my notes at one point because it's like at the very beginning when they're i think it's when they're like setting setting sea to to travel and it Mm. shows you know the the ocean and it's just like purple and it when i whenever i'm watching a movie like this to start off with i'm like is this just a bad transfer or is the Mm. film damaged it took a little bit for me to be sure um, and it became very apparent that this was an intentional choice where he uses yeah. different sort of film or filters or however to distinguish different locations. Yeah. And my favorite mm. example of that is in this scene when he carries her up to his bed mm. and the whole scene is blue because it's happening yes. at night. And then he lights a lantern and everything becomes pink. Like as he lights the lantern, yes. it's it's like the film immediately switches color. Um, mm. And I, I thought that was like a great little... I kind of love how silent films would do that. Mm -hmm. I miss I miss the silent film colorations. (laughs) When movies like that make interesting use of color, um, like a movie that's certainly more, you know, it's it's later, so it's more polished looking 
now, but high and low, there's like a use of colored smoke. Yeah. And I, that's like my favorite part of that movie. <laughs> like, it's just so cool. Cause you're watching this movie that's entirely black and white. And then out of nowhere, you see just a, a little, little smidgen of color. That's really cool. So he's caring for her. We do get my favorite title card drop, which yeah. is when when she says to him, "Why are you so good to me, Chinky?" You've been sending that one a lot this week. <laughs> you're, you're trying to make that a meme. <laughs> I, re- I really want to make it a meme. It's That's, like it's, it's gonna, gonna be tough. <laughs> it's just it, it's so goofily. It's racist in such a goofy way that I just laughed when I saw it. It's. Yeah, uh, because there there are other title cards that are just straight up racist, where it, it's mm-hmm. you know battling or whatever from his perspective, saying racist just, shit, just yeah. saying racist shit, like using it like as a like a just an absolute slur. But yeah, this one is at least quite uh, disarming because she, <laughs> she's like being so affectionate. You're like, oh, oh man. Yeah, I. I, f- I just found it funny. I don't know. I like, remember to delete that. I We all <laughs> snapped photos of it while we were watching because it was so funny. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go back and delete that off my camera roll. I don't want like, anybody to even accidentally be like, why? Why do you have this? Why, why, why do you have this in your phone? Right. Who's... <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, oh, I did have a note. I, I was just like taking pictures of the title cards that I liked. And right before that one, um, I really enjoy how the... I think it's supposed to be when the title cards are sort of from his perspective mm-hmm. um, that it actually they are a little bit more like exotic looking and sort of actually mm-hmm. have some of the flowers on them. Um, and there was the one that says the spirit of beauty breaks her blossoms all about his chamber. Um, and it has like these like beautiful flowers in the background of the title card. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I think we've talked, I can't remember if we've talked before about sort of the the lost art of the title card that like that was an entire, that was a literal art form that cease to exist when silent films cease to exist and they do some interesting stuff with them here yeah they really do because you know a a lot of them are just you know white text on a black card Mm -hmm. but here there's both like the visual um whatever beauty Mm -hmm. or or artistry of them Mm -hmm. but a lot of the title cards also like usually like i'm so used to seeing title cards where it's just either like the person's like mouth moves and then you see the tow card and that's right. what they're saying mm-hmm. or you know it's and then they go to the bank or whatever right exactly <laughs> and this one has like such a unique flavor of mm-hmm. title cards where it's not like sometimes it says things that are just it's more poetry than prose it's right. not really moving the story along it's just adding color or yeah it's like commenting mm-hmm. so the, the the one other one i wanted to mention that's a little ahead but just barely um because this is one you could actually turn into a meme if you so chose, which is when it's talking about battling. And it says, above all, battling hates those not born in the same great country as himself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a, yeah, yeah, a, a tough one to watch this morning. The, yeah. the one I would want to turn into a meme would be returning from tea and noodles. Oh, yep, that was. <laughs> and that's it. That's the that's whole. The title entire card. title card, returning from tea and noodles. That was that was also great. Yeah, that's a good. One. <laughs> uh, but there's there's one like the scene between the two of them is pretty prolonged, and like it you is. were saying, it is it is maybe a little too long. Yeah. I do like it though. It's no, it's the best scene in the movie. Right. It's, it, it's my it is my favorite part of right. the movie. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. 
No, I it's not my, my favorite sin. part of the movie. It's a part I like yeah, a lot. I have, I ha- we'll get to my favorite part. Of yeah, the movie. I have <laughs> some. Yeah, basically, I have sort of the same criticism about this scene as the other scenes, which I think the pacing is just like the scene just keeps going. But this is the one scene where, like, it feels more purposeful. It's like, yeah, if, like, if like this, we're slowing it down, right? And if <laughs> if the in order for the ending of this movie to work at all or the movie at all, you sort of have to believe their connection. And so I'm more okay Mm -hmm. with saying, let's just spend a bunch of time with them just sitting in this room. uh, So you actually feel like they have a connection. Mm -hmm. And one of the title cards here that I wrote down a lot, that's like sort of in that vein of, it doesn't really add anything plot wise, but it's uh, there. He brings rays stolen from the lyric moon and places them on her hair. And all night long, he crouched, holding one grubby little hand, which the oh, grubby yeah. little the grubby, the grubby little, hand. little hand part. I was like, "Well, that's kind of mean." That's that's yeah. actually a line pulled from uh, from the book or from, the story. from the short story. Yeah. I figured, yeah. Oh, and I really? think that one comes right. Is it, that's, that one might come right after the "Why are you so good to me?" Uh, title I think it card. is. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it, it kind of jumped out like right after that one, and then it goes to this one. I'm like, "Oh, her grubby little hand." Yeah, <laughs> like, little it's hand. it is very evocative, though. Like, it's I don't know. Poor Lucy. Yeah, poor Lucy. <laughs> she's oh, she's gone through the ringer. <laughs> so while they're spending all this time together, um, a, a young man who's a friend of Badlings goes to the shop to buy something, mm-hmm. and in order to get change, Cheng Huan needs to run out to a shop down the street. Or I, I believe that's what was happening. Yeah. Like if, yeah. he needs to leave for some reason, and mm-hmm. while he's doing that. Um, Lucy drops and breaks a teacup mm-hmm. upstairs. <clears throat> so Battling's friend hears it and he goes up to investigate, which, why would he right. do that? Right. Like, what are what you, doing? you the bird upstairs. What do you care? Like, why yeah, are mind you your own business. There? Yeah. Asshole. Like, but it's yeah. battling, man. Yeah, it's just a... He has no kindness. Just, yeah, bad, bad dudes. Yeah, like, if he would have just minded his own business, how different would the story have been? Like, yeah. everyone would have been all right. <laughs> yeah. Lucy could have just chilled well, up there. So much less bloodshed. Yeah. Her and yeah. Cheng Wan could have like moved somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That, I'm sure their lives would have been fine. They would have lived happily ever after if not for that. They would have been all right. But then, <laughs> then she'd have been tainted because of DW. That's true. Um, yeah. I, so yeah, that's v- true. very quickly, I know there's not a ton of point in talking about the music that goes along with these films because I, I'm sure if this was, I don't even know when this particular music would have was been, yeah. yeah was a com- added as the accompaniment or whatever but i did just watching it now um the music in this scene is very funny it's like very plinky plunky <laughs> hijinks like <laughs> matt came into the room and said it sounded like a scene from star wars in which the droids are getting up to something like <laughs> it's just it's like because she's like he's looking around the shop and she's hiding upstairs and it is just sort of like dun, 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 like sneaking around hijinks music uh, it's like a danny elfman <laughs> yeah it exactly that's exactly what it's like um and again, that's not that was not D.W. Griffith's choice, I'm sure, in any way. But it, it mm. amused me in this in this scene that is otherwise just infuriating. Because, come on, dude, what you doing? Yeah. So, they call him the spying one. He <laughs> spies uh, on Lucy. Sees yeah. Lucy's up there. He he thinks it's a hoot because he assumes that she's hooking up with sure. Chang Huan and not that she's recuperating from being beaten nearly yeah, to death by his buddy death. who he's yeah. immediately going to go tell mm-hmm. yeah so he he runs over to the alternate site to tell uh <laughs> battling all the 
all the funny things he saw. Yeah. Um, this is where in my notes I have not a boxer's physique. Yeah. <laughs> apparently oh, I, I was wrong. Say, it, it, oh, apparently he was lit- it was literally well, a boxer's physique. Well, I also think that, I mean, he's older. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know. Again, like so many things in this movie, could have been worse. Like I kind of was like, you know, <laughs> and maybe it is sort of, again, like we were talking about the baseball players of the time. I was like, I don't yeah. know. It's all right. <laughs> I guess back then they were doing, and this is just going to be for you guys, but boxing was more like this. Yes. No, this is very much, I mean, we're, we're all doing old-timey boxing stances, which I'm assuming everyone can picture what that is. Yeah. Um, like but he, he's di- to me di- the epitome the of like this. boxing scene he, in uh, Gangs of New York. Later on in the climactic sequence, he actually kind of, kind of does that. Like when he's mm. sort of in his final menacing sequence, he kind of like puts his arms up like that. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It was, I, I will say... At least when he's boxing, I, w- I wrote down, like, um, something like, is this actually how boxers, like, boxed in the 30s? Or, not the 30s, in the 10s? Teens, tens, yeah. Mm-hmm. Teens? Um, or is this just bad acting? I mean, I also... <laughs> and I couldn't tell, but if he's a... he's well, a, But I mean, like, but if, if They're still I didn't filming it. They're not actually... Oh, fi- pun- I mean, well, I don't know. It's, you know, filmed boxing always looks pretty strange. Yeah, but, like, if someone showed me, like, Ty Cobb playing baseball, and I had no idea what, like, old-timey baseball looked like before that, I'd be like, what the F is this guy doing? Like, he's swinging so wildly and linkly, and it's just like, that doesn't look like, you know, the baseball I've seen randomly on the TV at certain points, but, you know, I guess this guy really was a boxer. But yeah. it, it really looked like just, like, two guys kind of, like, slapping each other. <laughs> this, just to be clear, this is the, the scene I sort of was referencing earlier, right, where he when the guy comes to tell him about mm-hmm. what he witnessed and then is like, I'm going to deal with that. But after I but, yeah, do but my first. boxing, but first yeah. I must box <laughs> yeah, for the next th- 20 th- minutes. This is the moment where it has your title card. At the, uh, oh, yes. Above all, he hates those not born in the same yes. great country as himself. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> the other title card is a uh, battling discovers parental rights. Yes. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> I genuinely am not quite sure what that's trying to say. Like, like, because it's not like he's discovering parental affection. It's not like he, mm-hmm. uh, but he discovers parental rights. Like, it, it's just now occurring to him that, like, I have a parental responsibility to go get her, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that that was quite amusing. Yeah. And then it, it drops. This is where we get our first uh, hard C. Or not our first hard C. I think our second hard C. Yeah. Or it says, a chink after his kid. He'll learn him. Yes, it does say that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not... Granted, right. it's, ar- it's already been dropped, but... Right. Y- this it, is battling saying right, that we know he's garbage. From, yeah. Right. It's coming from the perspective of our villain. Like, that's... Yeah. yeah so... I didn't actually know this, but as as we've been talking about battling, I looked him up on Wikipedia, and uh, d- do you know what he else you've seen him in, Nick? I know you've seen this movie too. Is it Gangs of New York? <laughs> he was a hundred and two years old. <laughs> no, he uh, played the elder. Uh, I can't remember exactly which one, but he played like the old guy in How Green Was My Valley that he got nominated for an Oscar for. Uh, oh, like the uh, the the was the, it the, I think the dad? Yeah, I think it's the dad. I have not seen How Green Was My Valley. Is it good? 
it's it's very good it's uh-huh. really good it it's sort of unfortunate it's everyone hates yeah. it because it beats it as well okay but it's I, I, was, actually, I was gonna say like, i was like doesn't it have a terrible reputation yeah it's it's yes it's the movie that has most been tarnished by having won an Oscar because it's like the yeah. trivial pursuit question of like what beat Citizen Kane when Citizen Kane, and we will talk about it a lot as to why we will it, have to talk yeah. about why it beat Citizen so, Kane. But but it's it actually it, it's not like a driving Miss Daisy situation. No, where, no, it's, no okay. it's a really really. It's still good like movie. a four actually, and a half out of five movie. Okay, it just happened to beat. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it just shouldn't have won, and it should have been like in a. In a just world, Citizen Kane won Best Picture, and the the thing about How Green Was My Valley would be that people would go, "Oh man, if it would have come out a year later, that could have won Best Picture." Right. Yeah. That should have been the reputation that it has because it yeah. is a really good movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that I think he is the the dad. In yeah, that. it looks mm-hmm. like he is, according to Wikipedia. You know what? Props to anyone who transitions from the silent film era to, and I guess Lillian Gish did as well. Um, yeah. But to actually have a continuing uh successful career into well into the sound era because that was not easy for everybody but that's surprising because that from what i remember that's like by far my favorite character in how green is my valley and i thought he he wasn't a great actor in this movie well it's a different act maybe maybe he served better by not having to do this sort of over the true because the acting i mean I enjoy it for what it is, but it, yeah, it's just such a different. It's a whole different thing. It's it's barely the same. It art also form. wasn't it's like, like pantomime. The yeah yeah, but the, it also wasn't like the best written character. He would just kind of be like narnarl and then grab a belt. And I was just like, <laughs> does he? He's not. He's not. He he's not like Lillian Getch, who's like just right putting on a face so, that's just uh, same uh, paragraph. As we are now, also much like the movie, having a bit of a digression before we get to the <laughs> climax is. Earlier, when he is menacing her, is it is he just brandishing a belt at her? Or does he have a whip at one point, or is it just a belt he's brandishing? Like you know the scene I'm talking. It's when she's bent yeah, down. Yeah, she's like shoes. cowering by the bed. Yeah, it looked like a whip. It looked like it a looked whip, right? Long. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought too. I just I, I had a note and then I forgot about he's it. He's got a long waist. <laughs> Could yeah. be that. Um, but okay, yes, boxing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he has his boxing match. Meanwhile, Lucy is still at Cheng Huang's. Mm-hmm. The goal is for her to go home the next day. Mm-hmm. He gives her a doll and he again leans in to kiss her, but he doesn't. And they say his love remains a pure and holy thing. And, <laughs> you know, we can talk about the virginal thing. Um, it does say, though, that his love remains a pure and holy thing. Uh-huh. And I, I do kind of, like that's certainly a better way to sure. use that trope, I think. Mm-hmm. And especially since we know that she's a teenager. We don't know how old he is, but he's right. certainly older than 15. Yeah. It, it's one less thing to go. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm perfectly happy that they just, if they were going to err on any side, that they aired on that side of not having them have some sort of sexualized affair um right. arguably it is a um a, an early example of sort of though like the stereotypical desexualization of mm-hmm. asian of, yeah. men yeah. in films yeah. right that like his love is pure and holy he's not like a sexual being um but again i'm in this particular instance maybe that's better than the alternative of <laughs> them having to navigate them having some sort of <laughs> sexual relationship yeah I think uh, like Steven Yeun and Henry Golding are really doing a lot of uh, a lot of oh, a lot of work yes, in their career right sure. now to reverse but, uh, the, yeah to reverse yeah. the trip. Yeah, good Absolutely. For them. I, 
So, is Columbus a romantic movie? No. Not re- not really. Okay. It's kind of a yearning movie a little bit. Like yeah. it's it's more mm-hmm. just about gotcha. like some, sometimes you have a connection with I mean with John someone. Cho looks like he could like, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's one of those <laughs> stories about like how sometimes you have a connection with someone but it's not the right place or the right time and it wasn't meant to be kind of thing. Sure. Okay. I would say god, it's a good movie though. It's um, so good. Yeah. I it's really one of the most it. it's one of the most underrated movies from yeah, I mean it's decade. so tiny. It's it is it's so tiny. So I mean, I was only able to see it when it came, like the year it came out. The only place I could find it was on YouTube, um, and that's where I like oh. for, to pay, not to, year to, oh, to, oh, pay, right. to pay, to pay, oh. to pay, to pay. Not it was like, not like oh, it wasn't that tiny. No, but like it wasn't on Netflix or Amazon or anything. Like at the time, it was like you can pay five dollars and watch it on YouTube. Um, hmm. I, I think it's like has a Blu-ray now and everything, but. Um, yeah, I think it's on Criterion now. Actually, or it Ooh. was a little bit. It is ago. on Criterion. Nice. I was just checking. It's been on Hulu too. Oh yeah, it did. It landed mm. on Hulu after that. Um, but yeah, everyone watch Columbus. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. I bet it's good. Yeah, <laughs> I can't it's, say. it sounds so good. Um, so it sounds very me too. Yeah. So uh, battling wins his boxing match. He goes to write his honor, and then returns home, and then. He and his his boys go to Cheng Wan's. Battling goes upstairs to find Lucy in bed, and he shouts, "You with the dirty chink!" Sure does. Sure, like <laughs> I didn't expect better from Battling. No, that's true. So um, he threatens her. She, you know, pleads for her life. Evil eye. That so simply. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I know. Evil Eye comes in. He just kind of like this, 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 this whole thing was just. <laughs> he just like stumbled. Couldn't believe this. He stumbles upon the scene for for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, he leaves to tell Chang Huan and seems pretty like blasé about. Or even almost giddy. To, I was like giddy. He seems happy about it. He seems he's like, like hey, hey, guess, hey, guess what? Yeah, guess what's going on. Um, so while he's doing that, battling is like demanding that Lucy, uh, take all of Cheng Wan's, like she's, she's like dressed in his clothes. Basically, yeah. And it has like the flowers she, and the clothes and yeah. yeah, he's demanding that she undress and he's chasing her around and looking for, um, Cheng Wan during that. Yeah. He does. They're in, so they're in this like fairly tiny room and he's sort mm. of doing the like, where is he? Where is he thing? And it's kind of like, where, where do you think? And he's like looking under the bed. Exactly. And like kind of like in the corners of the room, like maybe he's. <laughs> yeah. He looked under the bed, the one place he could have been hiding. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. That, that uh, was amusing. Yeah. Battling's not the brightest. Uh, no, no, no. CTE. I'm sure they weren't doing like a lot of <laughs> concussion protocol. Right. Yeah. Does boxing even have concussion protocols? Like, how could they? Isn't, no, isn't everything no, they do just giving a concussion? Boxing, but. No, the whole point is just to hit people in the head. So that's yeah. uh, that's that's a feature, not a bug Probably. <laughs> of yeah. that uh, Like, the goal enterprise. is to give the other guy a concussion. Right, you're trying to knock them out, um, make them unconscious, so... Even football isn't that bad. Yeah, and they don't wear... I mean, I know, like, I think in Olympic boxing, they wear the, like, head guard things, maybe, yeah. but not mm-hmm. in regular boxing. And then if it's uh, MMA, you can just kick them in the head, so... Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. that's brutal. Yeah. 
So <laughs> it's a weird tangent. I like I said, we'll talk more about boxing in the future. <laughs> yes, city lights. Believe it or not. Uh, yeah. So he returns. So Lucy runs out. She's accosted by one of battling's like just his friends suck like he's got, he's got like goons basically somehow he has like what the fuck are these guys doing d- i like, don't know <laughs> anyways so they grab her she's so she's like being accosted by them mm-hmm. and battling um they leave and um cheng huan returns to see his place ransacked and mm-hmm. he sees that lucy's gone he knows what happened right and then yeah. he just breaks down crying and this is where i thought that um richard barthelmas's performance was pretty good mm-hmm. throughout i mean he's he's not quite mm-hmm. at lillian gish level but i i thought it was good for yeah. what he was asked to do this scene i, I mean lillian gish just embarrasses everyone yeah but like, this this scene was, like, where he breaks down after her but yes I, I found this scene really moving. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought his performance in this scene was really, really good. Yeah. So then we're getting to um, what I think is just an incredible um, scene. Lucy's in their house back in whatever it's called. Lime. Mm-hmm. Lime, whatever. Uh, on the sea. And she's in the closet hiding. And he's... On the other side of the door, she's screaming, don't, they'll hang you. She's locked in, and he grabs a hatchet. Yeah. And we're just getting a montage of him trying to break in while she is reacting. Um, just close-ups on her face. And one, uh, we should talk about, it feels very reminiscent of The Shining, right? Mm-hmm. Did you guys yeah. get Shining vibes? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I assume that was a conscious thing on their part. I don't on know. On Kubrick's part, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, presumably. Well, part. yeah, yeah. <laughs> time-traveling D.W. Griffith um, decided to do a Kubrick homage. No, um, I didn't know. Like I said, I wasn't familiar with this movie before watching it. But, yeah, apparently this scene is extremely famous, like, mm-hmm. on its own. Like, this is sort of the famous takeaway from the movie. And it's super harrowing. Like, it is, I think, rightly remembered and acclaimed for its intensity um so yeah my my guess is considering that it seems to be that well known that kubrick was probably aware of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um from the the wikipedia page so we we talked about um like how how griffith had gotten credit for like developing mm-hmm. a lot of these things that he didn't really develop but he popularized techniques like cross-cutting and mm-hmm. fading out but another one that um i saw mentioned online was um the use of the close-up mm-hmm. because the close-ups in this scene on gish's face like mm-hmm. they're incredible and i saw somewhere i don't know if I, f- I forget what movie it was on and i thought i'd copied it down but apparently i hadn't but she was in another movie later um and Somebody had done a close-up of her, and they said, oh, the your close-up was really good. And I think it was Betty Davis that she was in the movie yeah. with. Mm-hmm. And this, this was mentioned in the Ebert review, actually. That's, oh, okay. That's, oh, what, yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I don't have it written down. Okay. <laughs> like, where did we, yeah, whenever it's like, where did we see that? It's usually in the Ebert review. Okay. Um, crap, I can't remember. It's like the whales of something. The whales of August. 
Whales of August. There you go. Okay. Uh, yes, it's the, it's the I, end I, of the I could just, review. Yeah. Yeah, I could just hear the uh, hear Betty Davis say this line that she says about Lillian Gish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say, uh, Miss Gish, you've just given me the most marvelous close up. Uh, and then Betty Davis says, she should. She invented them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would love to have heard Betty Davis deliver that line about it, though. Mm-hmm. It was driving me crazy as to why I could not find that in my notes. And it was because, <laughs> no. yeah. it was because it's it was the very from, end of the Ebert review. Yeah. I was like, why would not? Why would I not have copied that from mm-hmm. Wikipedia? Because that's such it's such a great line, and it is true. And this is, I mean, maybe she also has great um, close-ups in her other films, like Birth of a Nation or something like that. But I think definitely this one could be considered inventing the close-up because this scene yeah. is just mm-hmm. her performance is unreal. Yeah. And speaking of the sort of shining comparisons, the little tiny snippet on Wikipedia sort of talks about how it's it's unclear. There's mm-hmm. uh, conflicting stories about whether D.W. Griffith was like antagonizing her to get this reaction. And then there's another version of the story that says that he was shocked that she, uh, by her performance and, and did not expect it from her. So, mm-hmm. you know. Who knows? Her, I know which story I hope is <laughs> yeah. true, which one and I seems know which more story likely. I expect is yeah. true. Her, so her version of the story yeah. is the one actually that says that it was all yeah, acting. Yeah, she, she says it. And, I mean, yeah, yeah. She, and she says that Griffith said, "My God, my God, why didn't you warn me you were going to do that?" Right. So uh, is that true, or is it? Why didn't? Why wasn't I warned that this scene was in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This really was. An intense scene for me to watch. Right, because yeah, and it was it was it was Barthelmus who said that he thought Griffith had antagonized her or sort mm-hmm. of taunted her into mm-hmm. bringing out that performance. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know which one I think is more likely. I guess I'll mm-hmm. err on the side of believing Gish in that it was all just her acting chops. Right. I'm good with that. Yeah, that's the, she's that's, good enough to have it. Right. Be exactly. I 100 percent yeah. believe that she had that in her. But yeah, it is. Yeah, harrowing. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. So he does finally um, tear the door down. He reels to hit her. And then before we actually see that, we cut away to Cheng Wan, who's bolting to get to her house. Mm-hmm. And Probably the best edit in the whole movie. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's a really smart edit. Um, and yeah. I'm a fortunate edit, too. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. when we... When we cut back, she's quite nearly, um, she's all but lifeless. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Battling has that look on his face where he knows what he's done. Yeah. And he, he like takes a, a slug of his booze mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so the title card says, Dying, she gives her last little smile to the world that has been so unkind. And she does the, does the little, puts, puts a little smile little, on her face, you know. And the Im- the image that I, I think is just so heartbreaking is her laying in bed and she still has the doll that mm-hmm. Cheng Wan gave her. She's yeah. like cuddling with the doll. Just yeah, yeah. I'm just getting chills thinking about yeah. it. And like that, the whole ending of this movie really, really was a bit intense. For, mm-hmm. Yeah, for me. So Cheng Wan um, breaks in. It's obviously too late to Mm -hmm. save lucy but he breaks in battling over here's the hatchet is on the ground battling um kind of realizes what's going on Mm -hmm. he 
starts like futzing with the hatchet with his foot. Yeah. Goes to grab it and raises it and then out of nowhere, <laughs> seemingly. And for the pacifist, it is a little odd. Like, where right. did he... This is the opposite of a Chekhov's gun. <laughs> this is a gun that just <laughs> materialized out of literally nowhere. <laughs> like, I was... I was... I was... <laughs> I was genuinely uh, quite shocked by this. I was not expecting uh, gun violence at the climax of this film. Yeah. Um, like, why would he have had, like, did he get it from someone? Did Did Evil Eye get it? I was going to say, I, let's assume Evil Eye gave it to him. Maybe that's the reason why Evil Eye exists, uh, was maybe. to give him a gun. I mean, but we're inventing that. Yeah, we, <laughs> it was not shown. Def- it is not shown in the movie. We are definitely inventing yeah. that. Yeah, Chang Han produces a uh, handgun and just uh, shoots battling a bunch of times. Thematically, it makes sense, though. Sure. Right, right. It would have made... That this white man's culture is just so much violence and brutality against those that can't put up mm-hmm. for themselves. And this is... To the point... It, 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 the it, final like, straw, yeah. Yeah, and it, like, it, it overtakes... Like, other people fall into the same pattern of needless violence because they're around it. Mm-hmm. Although shooting battling wasn't the worst thing in the world, but yeah, I don't... it's definitely, it's definitely like noticeable that like this world is so cruel that it got this pacifist Buddhist monk mm-hmm. to violently shoot this dude until that gun clicked basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like the kind of turn that he takes where he went from this, you know, his whole goal was to spread pacifism and ultimately it, it leads to something violent. I, yeah. I think that's an interesting turn, but I think it being a gun is like, it just doesn't really make sense. Plot. Yeah. The plotting of it doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he, that's if he fair. had somehow like grabbed the hatchet or something or right. pushed him down the stairs. Yeah. No, it, it really, it was just quite, um, yeah. Out of nowhere, like quite, and it made Maybe that's the point. Like the the shocking, like the violence of the gun is so shocking. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a weird way to to portray this. Um. So he's dead. Um. <laughs> yeah. He he stands up for like. He's, he's standing there for 15 he, seconds. He does kind like of. checking like, oh, I have Am I actually five, six mm-hmm. bullet holes. Yeah. Takes, takes a minute. Really, really milks it, his death scene. Yeah. So. Cut it down. <laughs> um, Cheng Wan goes back. He, he carries Lucy's body away. Um, he lays her in his bed and puts flowers on her. Meanwhile, the cops like find battling his dead body. Mm-hmm. And then he sits, uh, Cheng Wan is sitting at the edge of the bed and what do they say? As he smiles goodbye to the white blossom, all the tears of the ages rush over his heart, which I think is just a beautifully written line. Mm-hmm. And then he commits suicide and yeah. we hear the bells one more time yeah, I like in that. China ring. I, yeah, I like the symmetry of the, mm-hmm. the hearing the bells ringing one more time. Yeah. So... It was a Shakespearean sort of tale. It, it is, mm. yeah. Um, it's yeah, sort of more like a morality melodrama <laughs> Shakespearean yeah. ending. And I, I, we're supposed to get the sense, right, that he basically has 
killed himself because mm-hmm. he's just so distraught over the loss of Lucy. Um, right. My sort of like modern cynical brain was like, well, does he also know that he's just killed a white man and that if the police do find him, he's just going to be killed anyway, so he knows it's all over for him? That's the less romantic interpretation of his choice at the I, end. I honestly but... thought it was closer to, well, I, I, I agree with the part that uh, Lillian Gish is dead. Mm-hmm. But also that, um, like, he has betrayed everything he had ever believed. Sure. That's, that's yeah, what, yeah, I think yeah. it's a combination of the two of yeah. those things. Yeah, he, can't, he just can't live just with like, himself. Oh, no, they're going to arrest me. Right. But just like, yeah, he, he just can't live with himself now that he's been through this and done all this. Which. Very sad. The, I didn't really like his ending honestly I, yeah I, I hate it when it's like i must commit suicide yeah that's really bothers almost me. never like, a I, satisfying no. ending to a story yeah and always unpleasant right it like i said it's as far as like you said i think calling it like a shakespearean type ending or just even a you know yeah, a, it, it feels um, and a, just a melodrama type ending where it's like well what how else could it end but with everybody has now died basically except evil eye. except evil high evil eye sticking he lives to tell the tale he's still hanging in there Damn. so the way the the way the short story ends yes is instead of shooting him he plants a poisonous snake there ooh kill bill so style <laughs> wait we thought the gun came out i of i know i that's not what i thought you were going to say so I, th- I was like hoping you'd say he would just like throw him out a window. Right. Or that's something. that's yeah. No, plants a poisonous snake. Interesting. So somewhere earlier in the story, and I, I should have written this down. Let me see if I highlighted it. I did not. Well, that's fine. I'm not gonna read through the whole thing. But basically, it ends with uh, they refer t- they refer to like giving gifts like exotic animals as gifts or something like that and it closes with um now it is a peculiarity of the reptile tribe that its members are impatient of being flopped on without warning so when battling flopped 18 inches of writhing gristle upreared itself on the couch and got home on him as bud tuffet had done the night before that's the guy who's boxing one of the ear (laughs) thank you for that clarification otherwise i had (laughs) follow-up questions uh one to the ear one to the throat and another to the forearm battling went down and out and he too was found in the morning with cheng huan's loved gift coiled around his neck jesus that's evocative wow i don't know which of those endings i really prefer uh, it's certainly an interesting one to have him. Not many. Uh, he he gets a uh, black mamba or whatever yeah, it is from. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like yeah, or copperhead. I can't remember which one it is that they they bust out. But yeah, I, it's it's a mamba. It's a black mamba. Yeah. Oh yeah, because uh, oh, they Vivian Fox says her. that she should have been black. Right. Mamba. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I would have liked to have seen it. I don't know if it would have been. <laughs> And necessarily better than the gun, but it would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Wait, no, Uma Thurman was the Black Mamba. Uma Thurman's the Black Mamba, but I think that's was why. That her, was that her snake? I think that they... she uses. I think kill Bill digression. Um, I think that um, what's her name? The other uh, blonde. Daryl Hannah. Help me, Daryl Hannah's. Yeah, yeah. I think L Driver wants to use a Black Mamba oh, to kill right, right. Bud because then to it'll look up. like that uh, the bride did it. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. We've got all our, our Kill Bill 
uh, it's been two at least six months since I watched that, so it took me a second to remember. It's been a while since I've seen <laughs> that, it. That, is that like the longest you've gone probably, without Probably. It's been quite a while, oh, yeah. It's, it's, in my defense, it's on TV a lot. Um, I, I, I know, because my dad puts it on every... I'm so sick. So do I. Um, no, I haven't taken it out and like... I don't. I guess I only. I own it on like DVD, so I can't rem- imagine the last time I actually took it out to watch it. Um, on DVD. DVD. Um, but... I have it on both DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, I don't have it on Blu-ray. I just have it on DVD. I was really hoping you were going to say VHS. <laughs> right. I think it came out in a post VHS. Yes, that movie came world. out in like 2004. I so. remember the VHS at Blockbuster. Sure. Yeah. But that probably was about five years. And anyway, yes, um, it's, it's been a while since I've caught it on HBO. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So, Broken Blossoms. Broken Blossoms. Do you guys, do you guys have uh, any good Ebertisms? We've already we I talked about the best one, one. So please let me go. But first. yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, films like this, Nay, Films like this, naive as they seem today help nudge a xenophobic nation towards racial tolerance. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I have yeah. that one underlined too. I do too. And I, I actually also liked sort of the the little section before that um, when he says that what rain, remains today is the artistry of the production, the ethereal quality of Lillian Gish, the broad appeal of the melodrama, and the atmosphere of the elaborate sets. Apparently, the film's budget was actually larger than that of The Birth of a Nation, that, which is a... That how? Where did that money mind. go? Yeah, how? <laughs> like, Birth of a Nation has, like, again, haven't seen it, but I have seen clips. It has, like, large sequences of, like, Yo, people on, on horseback. Yeah, this was me saying people on horseback. They have cannons, and the one guy's, like, sticking the Confederate yeah. flag in to load a bomb. Yeah. So, okay, well... Anyway, but yes. um, did they just like build all the ships in the beginning from hand for like one <laughs> they, like they, landscape they actually, shot, and then they would just destroy they actually the shot. filmed that opening sequence in China, so they <laughs> that was a large section of the budget. <laughs> wow. How many, how like many doors did they go they, like, through? We're gonna go on a trip <laughs> to some city right. where it doesn't like even in fact the plot is just like the the cast and crew right. just want to like go all those Adam Sandler movies. That's just him like yes. hanging with his buds. Yeah, <laughs> this was this was DW Griffith being like, I've always wanted to go to China. Um, no, I have literally <laughs> no idea how this had that big of a budget, but I don't, I don't know. know inflation, like inflation over the four years between Maybe. this and Birth of a Nation, just got more expensive to make movies. Um, I had a I had a bunch underlined in this actually, mm-hmm. but uh, the one I have starred is although the best silent comedy remains. T- the best silent comedy remain timeless, and many silent films remain undated. Melodrama like Broken Blossoms seems old-fashioned to many viewers. Watching it involves an act of cooperation with the film, even active sympathy. And I think that was a good. good way to to kind of. I mean, he's he's right in that in a lot of. I feel like a lot of his review comes off as something that he wouldn't give four stars to. Like he's very critical of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, I, I think. It, he was like open to the idea that there this movie has a lot of problems, but it's still great movie. Mm-hmm. Capital G Italics right. bold. Yeah. Underlying. My my instinct or even even just before watching it is that and I wondered and I think this is possibly true, that he just felt it was important to acknowledge it's you know it's important and mm-hmm. you know, he's not gonna put birth of a nation, <laughs> you know, in here. I mean it's in he, book two. I was yeah. Okay. Well, then, <laughs> never mind. But is I, Triumph I, of the Will in any of these? Oh, Jesus, no. I don't think I don't so. I think uh. it is, but 
but I, I my assumption was that he just felt it was important to acknowledge you know you don't write off the silent era and and acknowledge what mm-hmm. film had to offer I want to look to make sure that we're not <laughs> I've, I mean yeah that's a whole that's a whole other conversation Mar- I don't marching towards triumph of the will yeah yeah um, thumbs up thumbs down Jana where did oh, you uh, thumbs like- up yeah, th- thumbs up. I, you know, like I said, I had my my critiques, and if some of it's just me being a philistine, some of it's just like I don't spend a ton of time watching silent films, and I think that quote is absolutely accurate. Like it's it's not the same thing as sitting down to watch just any other movie, right? It, it does require yeah. from you to commit, um, and probably it's it's a weird 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 time guys <laughs> just sitting down to try to watch it i was gonna to try to watch it last night that got written off trying to watch it this morning probably not in the ideal headspace for it um but no i i was i was very impressed with it overall definitely a thumbs up it's in book three are you kidding me <laughs> god damn it roger well, we've got well, we've got years to i was gonna say this, to uh... decide how to uh deal with roger come on buddy but yeah no thumbs up uh i'm assuming you guys are both thumbs up as well Woo-hoo. i'm definitely a thumbs up yeah yeah all right uh dylan how many stars are you gonna go three and a half jenna uh three for me i wanted to talk myself into going four there's a very strong possibility that the next eight movies that we cover are gonna be four stars for me yeah. so i thought about like how fun would it be to go just like I'm I'm just four Season star Nick from two, now on. Four stars across the board. But um I, I can it's go, not there. Yeah, I can only go three. Next I yeah. I mean that's again still very high. No, we we talk about it all the time at the moment, but yeah, looking at our list of upcoming movies, it's just completely wild. There's not a not a bad one in the bunch. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty. Um quick round of what you guys have been watching lately. Jana, what yeah, you, uh... I'm watching a bunch of stuff. Um, She's just going to New York. I, yeah, I've started watching. <laughs> going. Um, yeah, going. I've started uh, virtually attending the New York Film Festival. Yeah, so in case anyone is listening to this and doesn't know, um, you know, the film festivals are pretty much all virtual this year. Um, we unfortunately, those Americans of us, were prevented from watching any Toronto titles, but the New York Film Festival. Um, still has a lot of movies that are going to be streaming over the next few weeks that are watchable. Um, various price points ranging. How? how uh, what was the the cost for the revival one you watched, Nick? Yeah, zero dollars. Okay, so for revivals, yeah. they're free. And the new. Oh, I don't know damn. if that's true. I don't know if that's true for all of them. Um, yeah, I was going to say because I, I, I thought I'd looked at yeah. one that wasn't, but I, I should probably go through it. Love is. Um, but the, the, there's ones. new release films that are that range from like fifteen to twenty five dollar rentals, um, and a bunch of interesting stuff coming. Some sold out already, but not everything. Um, anyway, I watched on Thursday night the opening night film, which was Lovers Rock, which is part of Steve McQueen's small. Axe anthology telling the story of um, West Indian immigrants in uh, England in like the second half of the 20th century and it was really excellent um, so I like this it'll be it'll be on Amazon eventually it's I mean it already came and went from New York but it'll be on Amazon eventually um, so keep an eye out for that and then otherwise I've just been sort of catching up like watching 
uh, you know, seasonal type movies. Watched A Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time this week, which was a lot of fun. Was it that? was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's like Halloween. It was a movie I had tried to watch when I was a teenager and like got too scared in the first like <laughs> scary sequence, which is hilarious now because now it's like the sequence where Freddy's arms get all long. And I was like, why did this scare me when I was like 15? I have no idea. Um, I will say having just having also watched Halloween and Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street is a gore level that I was uh, not quite expecting. It is uh, pretty gross, but in a mostly comical way. That's um, the one where like he gets sucked into the bed and then, and then the blood, blood just, like, just yeah, yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the part I was thinking of. Um, also, Final Nightmare on Elm Street note, it was weird going back and watching it after, and I told you guys this, being super into the Scream movies, because I was like, oh, so Wes Craven was like very much riffing on his own filmography when he mm. made those, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other thing, oh, two more things I want to mention, um, last weekend watched Eve's Bayou, um, which is a fantastic film that I cannot recommend highly enough if you haven't seen it. Um, it is... I haven't seen 90s it. film directed by Cassie Lemons. Um, really fantastic, like Samuel L. Jackson performance. Uh, child performance from Journey Smollett being amazing. Um, very sort of creepy Bayou um, film. Recommend that. And then <laughs> on the not recommendation scale, last night I watched uh, The Devil All the Time, the new Netflix not a, film. Not a recommendation. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Did you rate it on uh, Letterboxd? I, I think I did this morning. I think I gave it three stars. Oh, okay. like, I'm look... not mad about it. Whoa. Yeah, no, I'm not mad about <laughs> the it. The way you were talking about it last night, I was like, ooh, I want Janet to give it like no, one star. No, so I rarely give one star to movies unless like they make yeah, me I really know. mad or I think they're incompetently made. Like, it's very well made. Um, I think the performances overall are pretty good. Um, I I will stand up for the Robert Pattinson insanity. I think yes. he's great. Hey. But that movie is bleak <laughs> as hell. Like, I think I'd like it better as a book. Um, I have sort of an easier time with that sort of, like, just relentless despair and terrible behavior in a book for some reason. When I'm watching it in a movie, I'm just like, oh my god, you people, every one of you is the worst. And that's kind of, that's kind of, it's, it's, that's what the movie's about. It's about, man, people sure are terrible, aren't they? Um, and then it goes on for two hours and 12 minutes of people being terrible. So, you is know. Is it that long? It's very long, yeah. I, I oh, think God. it's, yeah. Um, it's, if you have the time and it's on Netflix, it's probably worth it for the Robert Pattinson stuff. And Tom Holland's pretty good. Although, because the movie spans generations, Tom Holland shows up way later than I was expecting. Um mm. But yeah, that's that's about it. That's the, the highlights of my week. What about you guys? Did did you hear the uh the tweet did you see the tweet I sent you like really early this morning where the the DP was like talking about how he oh, used yeah. dark colors to convey the good versus it, it, evil? Yeah. <laughs> everyone's the, just like, the morality in that movie yeah. too. That 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 lines up with sort of the uh approach. <laughs> so here sorry, final note on the devil all the time. It does a thing that I don't like about novel adaptations where it just has like super present narration, just omnipresent narration. Mm -hmm. And it's like you are obviously just reading to me from the book, which if you're going to do that, I could have listened to the audio book. (laughs) Why? Why are you doing this in your movie? Um, And then I was like, well, who's this narrator? He's kind of an interesting voice. 
they have the author of the book do the narration (laughs) this is not audacity right and so i was like wait so now i am just sort of listening to an audio it's a very strange choice um and i think maybe the reasoning is like it's the guy wrote about the hometown where he's from like he's really from this like tiny sort of appellation area um but yeah it it makes a lot of choices um but you know my girl riley keogh's in it and she's really fantastic so i will also uh shout her out I've never heard of an author being like Scorsese does that sometimes. Like he'll he'll narrate like he narrates the beginning of Color of Money. Sure. And I think that's kind of interesting. I've never heard I think of Tarantino's the author of the... done it too. I think I can't yeah, think of exactly yeah. which movie, but I know he throws his own voice as narration in in something he does. Um, wait, does he? I'm trying to think. I, think I know he uses, he, he uses he uses Samuel, Kurt Russell. He uses Kurt in... Russell. He uses Samuel L. Jackson. I think he might do it in Hateful Eight. I don't think I dreamed that. Someone can fact check me. At least in the the theatrical screening, he used Kurt Russell for that, like coming back from the intermission. And it was weird because you'd never had narration up until that point. Maybe it is that. Okay, well, maybe I'm But either way, like the the author of the book doing it is weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, by the way, it does say narrated by Quentin Tarantino uh, on the Wikipedia page. On so. Hateful Eight? On Hateful Eight, yes. Um, I do not remember that, but I maybe, haven't seen it since And then it came you're, out, Kurt, so. Kurt Russell does narration in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for that final sequence. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. they're like, and then they uh, went and got margaritas. Yeah. Um, and we're having a lot of Tarantino digressions in yeah. this Broken Blossoms I ha- episode. I haven't seen Hateful Eight, like, other than in the theater. In the roadshow? Yeah, me so, too. So I wonder, yeah. I wonder if. Um, man. I don't. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it's. I don't think it's Tarantino that, doing it. Um, but okay. yeah, no. The, the I've never seen heard of that either, though. And I was kind of. It kind of threw me for a loop when I looked it up, and I was like, "Wait, they just had the author of the book just reading to us from his book? Like, it's a choice." But I, I didn't care yep. for it. Yeah. Dylan, what have you watched recently? I honestly have missed out on movies this past week or so. Um. Mainly because I've been trying to catch up on TV shows for the Emmys this weekend. Um, only one I did specifically for the Emmys in full has been Watchmen. But I've started Mrs. America. I've also caught up on Lovecraft and Ted Lasso. And would recommend all those shows. They're, they're pretty good. Back to movies this upcoming <laughs> week, though. Oh, I will say, Dylan, if you wanted me to be mad about a movie, I I will just also mention it was a week ago now, but I also watched finally watched yesterday, um, the Danny Boyle oh. Beatles movie yesterday. Um, that looks unbearable. Yeah, wasn't good. <laughs> that was a that was a disappointing movie. Even knowing it was supposed to be pretty bad, it it made me about as angry as I was expecting. And you're a big Beatles fan. Well, and I had sort of been warned that if you're a big Beatles fan, you actually may hate it more not like it yeah um and that was the case for me i mean it was fun to watch i like hearing the songs um you know i and i the, the, it should have just been it either should have been a movie about like what like a sci-fi movie about what would happen if you woke up in this universe and you were the only person who knew about the beatles or it should have been like a nice romantic comedy with those two leads but it tries to do both and it does mm-hmm. not know what kind of movie it is um okay <laughs> anyway all right what did you watch this week nick uh, what did I watch? Um, oh, I wanted to mention it wasn't. It was something I mentioned on the last show, but <laughs> the the bloody nose empty pockets thing. I posted oh. something on Twitter about like I hope they're all doing okay, and 
the like mainish character, I guess, mm -hmm. did reply and yeah. said that everyone he's talked to is doing all right. Yes, that that did happen on that Twitter. Was really that cool. was that was a fun night. And now he follows both of us. On yes, Twitter. and now and I I liked it, and now he follows both of us on Twitter. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I was I was genuinely glad to hear that at least uh, the people he's kept in touch with are all doing good. So because uh, it was nice to spend time with those folks. Yeah. Um, good movie. So I watched uh, Nelly and I watched the first episode of Columbo. We're doing Columbo Sundays, so nice. we did Columbo Monday this week because I had to work. Um, but I, that's one of the two I've watched already. Pretty cool movie. We watched the TV version of Scenes from a Marriage, which is. Uh, it's a tough sit, but it is quite good. It is very, very good. It I is. I can't imagine it's watching that. Much, it's so much rougher than Marriage Story. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I watched, finally, this is available uh, on Blu-ray, Beau Travai, the Claude Denis movie, um, starring Denis Levant, who it just has, it has the best ending that I've ever seen in any movie. Uh, I love this movie. So that's on Criterion Blu-ray, and I'm guessing since it just got the release that it'll come to the channel in October. Because they sort of so. They did the same thing with like the Scorsese shorts when those mm -hmm. came out. A few other things, like when they come out on disc, they tend to throw them up on the channel too. Yeah. Man, I hope um, so. I really want to see yeah. that. I watched, uh, uh, I also watched a Lily James movie called Cinderella. That one was, sounds better than yesterday. Yeah, it was cute. Yeah. I think it's probably my favorite Disney adaption so far because it's not like trying to remake the original. It's significantly different from the original. That's a Kenneth Branagh uh, yeah. film, right? It, it is well directed. Yeah. yeah. Although Kenneth Branagh can be pretty hit and miss on sure, sure. how his direction and comes he's, out. Frankenstein. He's not in it, just to be yes. clear, right? He's not in it. Okay, so good no. that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like I am not the target audience for that. I could see someone who is really liking it. Um, Me. Yeah. And then last night I watched from the the revival uh, portion of the New York Film Festival, I watched The Spook Who Sat By The Door, which is a pretty cool uh, movie from the 70s. I, I skimmed through while we were talking, and it looks like that was the only revival that was free. Oh, no. for whatever <laughs> For whatever reason, every other one I pulled up was like, they're cheaper. They're like 12 bucks for the okay. most part. Um, but this one was $0. It's still more expensive than Minari was for our Yeah, yeah. Watch. Oh, yeah, the, our Heartland International Film Festival, if, if people want to look for that, um, is doing a virtual screening of Minari next month. For $9, I think? Yeah, 9 bucks. I, I threw it. It asked, like, do you want to, like, throw in some extra money to, uh, mm. like, support the festival? And I was like, out, I should yeah. throw in, like, a couple extra bucks. I feel bad that yeah, I'm, I right? Too. I was like, here's $5. I feel bad that I'm getting this for so cheap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other thing I watched is the movie that we are going to be talking about next week. Which so is? I, I have already watched. Isn't this what we're talking about next week, I believe? Are we talking about Casablanca next yes, week? Yes, we're talking about yeah. Casablanca next week. <laughs> okay. So. I just know you also watched Citizen Kane. No, no, I didn't. I, I was watching uh, oh. I was watching it with um, the Ebert commentary. Then you're, you've just done a lot of Citizen Kane research That's still watching it if you're watching you brought it with it commentary. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to watch like the movie itself too, but I, I mm -hmm. just put on the commentary. But. Is there a so, good Casablanca commentary? 
there is by a gentleman known as Roger Ebert. Ebert? Okay, because I've yeah. I I will watch that because I've I've seen it so many times, um, including like a couple is of months ago. Is that on the ago. DVD? Uh, I have it on Blu-ray. I know it's on the Blu-ray. I'm I'm guessing it's it's also on the okay. DVD. Okay, we have the DVD. He's, he's done a few commentaries, and we're doing two of them like in the next month. Mm-hmm. So he does mm-hmm. Citizen Kane and Casablanca. He did. Um, I think he did a a, a, a floating weeds one the ozu movie which we're doing you know when we get to the mid f's uh in this book yeah so that one's coming up and the other one that um i know of for sure was um oh god what's the movie called dark city oh (laughs) the like late 90s um alex proyas movie which is a cool movie and it's it's fine no it's a cool movie i I watched it 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 is cool i will say it's cool i watched it and then watched the commentary with ebert the day before he died oh wow yeah (sighs) yeah i just like that movie has kind of a weird reputation i've never seen it um it's a weird movie it's a cool one uh kiefer sutherland is out of control in that movie just like Ah. the most over the top Sounds good. Yeah, everything's I'm, out of control. I'm intrigued. It's an yeah. out of control movie. It's a good movie. It um, is. For anyone who yeah. does not have, and for anyone who's still listening to us, and does not have Casablanca um, on DVD, it is available to rent and stream in all of the usual places, your iTunes, Amazon, Google Plays, YouTubes. Yeah, I'm in the midst of trying to pull up HBO. It's on HBO Max. Too. Oh, and HBO Max. All right. Okay. Excellent. I thought because I thought it was on there, and I, it's uh, on so many places that that just didn't even show up on like right, right. my <laughs> on the letterbox. Just letterbox, yeah, because it's just in so many places. Yeah, so uh, you can watch that there. You can find us on Twitter and Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod, and as always, you can find our buddy Scott Brady at S Brady Artist, and he did our artwork for the show. Mm-hmm. All right, Roger out, guys. Roger out. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.